Welcome to the Gibology Impact Series podcast, in which we share the experiences and inspirations of social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and change makers around the world in education. I am Joyce Meng, your host for today. We are delighted to have Dr. Lori Hammond, Director of Paragon School in Davis, California, here with us today. To give some background, the Paragon School educates students from preschool through sixth grade with a focus on environmental and social responsibility through the lens of natural sciences, outdoor education, and the arts. The school's project-based curriculum aims to develop lifelong learners. Dr. Hammond co-founded and directs Peregrine School, and she is also a participating grandmother. In addition, she holds the title of Professor Emerita at California State University at Sacramento. Her teaching experience spans 45 years and remarkably has touched student lives from preschool to graduate school, including the life of one of our high school interns at Geology. Peregrine is not her first experience with school startups, as Dr. Hammond also founded the Winters Parent Nursery School in Northern California. Her interests in multicultural education, bilingualism, science as an interdisciplinary tool, and social justice causes are shown to not only in her educational philosophies, but also in her written publications. We are so delighted to have Dr. Hammond join us today. Welcome. Thank you. Great, I'm really excited about our conversation today. Maybe to start off, how did you initially develop such a devotion to education in general and the alternative educational models more specifically? Well, I was a student at UC Berkeley in the 60s, so I was right in the middle of it all. And I was involved actively in the civil rights movement. And that led some of us, I was in American um, studies, American history, and that led some of us to get involved in the storefront schools in Oakland, where we were teaching literacy to kids who hadn't had good opportunities in regular school. That was kind of part of the civil rights movement. And so I, realized that lots of my fellow students, because I was in an honors program in American studies, were going to go to graduate school and be professors, which I ultimately did, but a long time later, because I decided that what I really wanted to do was affect things right on the ground. And it seemed like what we were learning was that education was a key to um, equal opportunity for people. And that was an active part of the civil rights movement was to do literacy work. And so um, I ended up going to school, going back to Berkeley to get a credential instead of going to graduate school right then so that I could quickly get out into the field working. And um, uh, what happened in terms of progressive education is that at that time in the world, the really exciting thing that was happening in schooling was something called the British Infant Schools, which are part of a long stream of kinds of schools that have been very child-centered and have been more effective at engaging children in education. But at that moment, that was the one that was kind of in the news, so to speak. And so the credential program I was in was a special one that focused on that. And so... I was very lucky to be able to learn directly at Berkeley from some leaders um, in progressive education who had worked with the British Infant Schools and other places. People like John Holt were there at the time. It was amazing um, who was teaching. And so I immediately learned, kind of cut my teeth on progressive education. I've sort of spent my career trying to figure out where you can apply these skills within a public system and ultimately started my own school to be able to do that better. 
That's really wonderful. I gave a brief overview of Peregrine School's priorities in the, in the introduction, but could you tell us more about the educational model and how it differs from other options in the community? Yes, I'd love to. Um, we gave this a lot of thought because I was an education professor and then um, my daughter, who's a doctor, was actually pregnant with her first child and was saying, we need to start a school um, that will be the way we'd like it to be. And so we gave a lot of thought to what the possibilities were. I knew that being um, involved in educational innovation and progressive education, I was not going to be able to follow a model where you did exactly what some mentor from the past has done. So that, for example, Waldorf and Montessori, which I think are great programs in various ways, but I wasn't wanting to start a school that kind of looked backwards like that and tried to copy what someone had done. Um, we are in a small group of schools that would be defined as independent schools, meaning that we invent our philosophy as we go. We are not connected to some big um, organization like either a church or something like Waldorf International. And so uh, Peregrine is its own thing. We created a nonprofit to do that. And I think I would say that what's unique about us, and this is maybe a long answer, but I think it'll be longer than most questions would need, is that we're a what you'd call a 21st century school. We're kind of looking forward rather than backwards. And one of our big uh, commitments is that kids need to be critical and creative thinkers because we're gonna have a lot of um, problems to solve and already are having right now. We see big problems to solve in this century. We can't look to past solutions. We need kids to be active and to know how to solve problems, to know how to innovate. And so um, we looked to programs to inspire us that went um, in this direction. And one of them was the schools of Reggio Emilia in Italy, which we are inspired by quite a lot. Those were schools that came out of the resistance in World War II. So they're a stage back from us, but they are very based on um, innovation and creativity. And so we got inspired by them, especially for our preschool. We also got very inspired by the UCLA Lab School, um, which is a school that has been going 100 years as a progressive school and works with the Graduate School of Education there to come up with new methods. And from that, we got involved in what you might call uh, project-based learning. So basically, we do inquiry. And then from there, we have developed our own model. And we call it SOAR, S-O-A-R being Peregrine School, which is after the Peregrine Falcon, um, we like the, <laughs> the acronym SOAR. And so S is for science, O is for outdoor education, A is for arts, and R is for responsibility. And responsibility is kind of where all the history and social science and personal responsibility fall in, and all of the things having to do with social justice and environmental justice. Um, but we are very, very much responding to the Davis community, which is a place very strong in science and outdoor education, agriculture, and other kinds of outdoor experience. And we are very committed to the arts because I think they help kids to be developed in a broad way and develop their creativity. So we have over time developed our own model, um, and, but the central themes of it overlap with lots of progressive educators. And those have to do with a child as an agent in their own learning, that the child should be asking questions, making decisions as much as is feasible at their age. 
that the teacher is also an innovator and a researcher. The teacher isn't just reading out loud a curriculum, the teacher is figuring out what's gonna fit their students best and trying out new things. And that we teach the whole child, meaning that we do all the basic subjects, the core subjects, of course, like reading, math, history, and science, but we also do many subjects that we think develop all the intelligences in a child, which include all the arts, um, gardening, um, meditation, many kinds of things to develop the whole person. So that's a big mouthful, but um, that is how we have evolved. Great. Yeah, definitely. The school's mission is really inspiring and developing a child's critical creative thinking to solve society's problems today is like even more important and timely. I'm curious, like what is the typical background of the students who attend the school? Well, um, we are in a university town, Davis. Um, and so the background, the usual background, there are variations, but is somebody connected to the university? Um, and, but that means that we have people from all over the world because Davis is a land grant university with a big uh, vet school and medical school and ag school. So we have people, kids coming in with many languages, many cultures, and that's an exciting part of it. But we also respond to the kind of local groups in um, the Valley, which is why we have a lot of things that are Spanish bilingual in our school, because that is um, the major second group in the Valley. And now that the university has brought in so many people from Asia, we also have a Chinese immersion program. So um, <clears throat> we feel like we're trying to respond to um, the diversity that exists in our community, um, but it is mostly a university community. Although I do have to comment that I worked before this with the Bilingual Science Project for many years where we were working with um, low-income Latinx students um, from farm towns and cities and the same kinds of methods are very effective with them too. Um, but that was in a public school context. Um, but I do think this method can work for all kinds of kids. Great. And, um, you know, touching on something that's really close to us, like, you know, Givology has grassroots partners around the world and cultivating global awareness on education issues around the world is so important to us. What do you think your students have gained from your school's focus on multiculturalism and bilingualism? Well, first of all, I just think that, um, that just like I think kids need to learn about biology and the environment from day one so that they can be rooted in understanding it, which will make them very naturally environmentalists as opposed to not having an understanding. I think the same thing is true for multiculturalism and bilingualism. Um, I think that uh, human beings come from people who for many centuries and, and millennia were tribal. And a lot of people have a natural bent to think that they're culture, their language, their way of thinking is correct. That is uh, kind of almost hardwired into us. I think what has to be taught is the notion that it can be very invigorating to be exposed to new cultures and languages. Um, it makes your world much richer and it makes you a much broader person. But I think it's something that education has a big obligation to teach because I don't think it's... Um, uh, what you might call natural. I think that um, it's tricky with humans because it's hard to know what's natural, but I think that um, it is something that people 
gained by experience. And I think if even starting in preschool, kids are exposed to a world in which people have all kinds of religions and languages and are all kinds of races. I think that um, it will just be deep in their bones and they're going to um, be acting on that without even knowing it. Whereas uh, otherwise, um, it may be something that is quite superficial if they just um, experienced it later. And just to expand on this further, can you just share some examples of how the curriculum promotes um, these critical areas of global awareness, social justice, environmental awareness in the students attending Peregrine School? Um, yes. Well, first of all, I want to say that our, our base curriculum is um, extremely uh, global in its conception. We are always basing things on critical thinking and on comparing anything we're studying. Like if we, even if we, when we study um, the caveman, the early man, early humans, um, our teacher uh, shows the kids cave paintings that we don't know who did them. And then we uh, look at graffiti art that's done in the cities today and talk about how it's kind of like that in that somebody's leaving a message and we have to figure out what it is. They didn't sign their name and um, the kids could themselves do that and think what their message is. So everything we do, we try to embed from the beginning in the notion that they are learning about things that are not, that are far from them, but that they are, um, embodying those things in their own actions so that our project-based learning very often results in an action whether it be having as we had last year a um, social justice art show downtown or whether we uh, help fix up a creek or something um, we learn things in order to do something about our world and that's very embedded about the global part we also have had exchange programs we're kind of in a hiatus right now with COVID, as is everybody, I guess. But we have taken um, students, we actually took youth, although we only go to sixth grade, um, those students were kind of too young, but we've taken youth repeatedly to Nicaragua through a program where we worked with a solar village there um, and the students saw a very different way of life. So we're very involved in community service learning. We had a project that linked up with Brazil through a Brazilian teacher, and we had a partner classroom and the kids there lived very differently. So that was great for our kids to see. So we try to do things connected to the world, literally um, every step of the way. We have a lot of connections to China because we have the Chinese immersion program. So, um, but I think the most important thing is that everything the kids learn is from the point of view of how am I a citizen of my world, not just how do I learn about this weird exotic thing. Great. And um, Peregrine School has changed the lives of so many students. We've heard so many great things about school. What did you learn from the first school that you founded, the Winters Parent Nursery School, that you were able to apply to the founding of Peregrine School? That's interesting that you should say that. Um, Winter, the Winters Parent Nursery School was a much simpler school. It's still there. It's small um, and it's just a priest, not just, but it is a preschool with a couple of classrooms. It doesn't really do daycare, so it's a smaller operation. I think what I learned, though, and what I was interested in learning was that whatever community you're in, you need to look at the resources and, and potentials for that community 
um, and work from there. So the town of Winters is a farm town. Um, it had a population of uh, mostly uh, white business people and farmers, and then it had a population of farm workers who were um, Latinx and Spanish speaking, and in some cases, low income. We worked very hard to create a partnership with Head Start. We were at one point the only Head Start in California that had um, the um, farm worker children coming to school with the mainstream middle-class children. Um, and we had a bilingual program there that I did in conjunction with um, a woman from a Mexican village, Esther Villalobos, who still has been working there until she retired last year. And so um, we did a program that fit that community. It was bilingual in Spanish. We did a lot of, um, of Mexican holidays and things because that was what the community did. Um, and we built from there. It was also a parent co-op because most of the people in that community didn't have a lot of resources to pay for schooling. When we started Peregrine, I wasn't sure if we'd do a parent co-op. I was fine with that. But then I came to realize that most of our parents were professionals who didn't have time to do it and who wanted to have daycare so that they could be doctors or whatever they were doing in the world. Um, and have their child given all the services that were needed. So we created a different kind of school based on the kind of community we have. So I've applied that to every community I've worked in, which have been Southeast Asian communities, African-American communities, et cetera. You have to build the school from the bound, ground up based on the needs and, and the desires of the community, not just um, have a one size fits all model of education, which is actually one of the problems that the public school has gotten into. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Could you tell us about your collaborations with other schools, both domestically and internationally? Yes. Um, I think at the moment, the main, I've, I've been involved in lots of collaborations over time because I used to train student teachers and I was involved in a community development model of doing that where we worked in schools. So I've worked in lots of schools personally. But in terms of Peregrine School, um, I would say that our main outreach at the moment is that we are hoping to be what you might call a private school in the public interest, that we do not see ourselves as developing all the things we're developing just to share them with the relatively small number of children, about 200 children that go to our school. We would like this to be shared with more children and more teachers. And so um, I'm pretty involved in outreach work. I work um, on a regular basis with the California Science Project and do workshops for teachers. Um, I go to other teachers from our school and I go to various conferences and present what we're doing. We're involved with the Progressive Education Network, which is national. We brought our elementary teachers to a national meeting in Minnesota last year. Um, we are, I've just been involved in a couple of social justice conferences that were on Zoom uh, that would have been in person this summer, um, just one the other day. And so I'm all the time working with, especially with teachers. But the book I am writing right now is, is for parents, because I also think there's a lot um, of what we're doing that can be shared with parents. And on a more personal note, what is it like to have your grandchildren experiencing the school that you founded and direct? <laughs> well, it has its ups and downs, I'll tell you, because, you know, your grandchildren don't, aren't always impressed with what you say, like some other children that you might meet. <laughs> 
But at the same time, it's, of course, fabulous. And I think one of the bases of this school and the Winter's Parent Nursery School before, which was actually created for my own children, and now this is for my grandchildren, is that um, we have families involved in schooling. So most of our teachers have, if they have any children, their children attend our school. And so we have uh, a lot of connection um, at all levels between the school and the teachers and the kids. Um, and so I'm not the only one doing this, but it is, it's, it's an, an amazing experience. I actually started the school with my daughter, who's a doctor. She never intended to teach, but she wanted a school for her kids. And then I am right now writing a book that's being illustrated and designed by my other daughter, um, who's an artist. Um, and so the ideas that we're pushing in this school are things that our whole family lives by. That's wonderful. And, you know, teachers play such a huge role in a child's development and perspective on the world. Do you hear from any alumni of Peregrine School about how their education at uh, your school impacted their choices after graduation? Yes. I mean, we, you know, we're a relatively young school. So the, the age that Tess is, which is in the middle of high school is about as old as people are that have graduated because we've just been doing the elementary school for 10 years. Um, but we, every year at graduation from the sixth grade, we always have someone who's in high school speak to us about, that has been to our school about their experience. Um, and it is always wonderful to hear. I would think that um, while the kids are generally report that they're ahead academically, and that's nice to hear. But um, mostly what impresses me is how much they are their very own people and how they do take this idea of taking initiative further. For example, during the pandemic, I was hearing about several things. I heard about one kid who just graduated sixth grade who started a seed bank for other kids and was sending out seeds and instructions of how to plant to kids all over that that in, interacted with him on the internet. And he had learned about doing that and then he started doing it on his own. Um, I heard from parents about kids who'd started during the pandemic and were at home, they started a garden in their backyard. Another uh, sister and brother who um, did at, at school, we cured olives and that they were curing olives at home. And so I see the kids carrying on with this initiative taking kind of approach and it can go in many directions some of them are involved in drama some of them are involved in science um, we don't expect it to go in any one direction but i do see them as taking leadership and that's what we want to see Um, in, especially in an environment like today, like what are the greatest challenges, current challenges for your school? Well, right at the moment, our big challenge is that we have spent all summer trying to prepare to open in person in a modified way, even during COVID, because we do not think that online learning is adequate for young children. And especially being a project-based school, we have always been believers in not even just sitting in a classroom with textbooks and paper, but 
doing things, building things, making things. And so um, we feel very um, limited by online learning, even though I think we did an exceptional job of it as it can be done, but it is not what we mostly want to do. Um, so what we are trying to do right now is to figure out, uh, to be first in line, they're just, um, the state is, has, if California has made a blanket statement that schools cannot open right now, if they are in counties that still have um, some cases of COVID going on um, with a certain kind of measure. And we are hoping to get a waiver, which we understand the state is just preparing the waiver. It's all very hair raising because we only have a month till school starts, but we want to um, prepare that waiver if we can, because we are hoping to run an outdoor school or a mostly outdoor school this year. We're preparing outdoor classrooms um, so that we can safely work in person. And we are actually doing summer camps like that and they've been successful. So we're just hoping we can get the waiver to do that because we think it's so much more valuable. And the parents that are coming to us do not want online schooling. It works for some kids and it's disastrous for others. That, that makes um, a ton of sense. And in also in light of all the social movements taking place in the complex political landscape today, um, do you anticipate any um, plans for major programmatic changes at Peregrine School? Well, that's interesting you should say that. You know, we're always changing and we probably always will be changing. But I think what we're trying to do right now, um, and, we're, and we always are working on actually, is to create um, a deep understanding of the basic principles that we work under um, that would be shared by everybody who works with us because one of the changes we're also undergoing is that as founder of the school and the director for the first uh, 13 years, just in the last year, I'm, doing, I'm still being the overall director, but I'm working only half time and we have more directors created, one for the preschool, one for the elementary school um, to try to um, so that I can partially retire because I've been doing this a long time. And so um, I see all schools evolving, especially when you have changes of leadership, but we are also trying to create a culture of our school that has continuity because what we don't want to do is just jump from one thing to another. I think that schools really need continuity. And one of my criticisms of public school, which I worked with for 30 years, was that they would adopt a program and bring it in on the teachers. And then two years later, adopt a new one and bring it in. They didn't give things time to evolve. And at Peregrine School, the, pro the program that I described earlier, the SOAR program, that is kind of the, the, skeleton of what we do um, is something we've developed over years together and those kinds of things we hope to keep. What we will always evolve with is how to respond to the moment, for example, this COVID thing. So we'll teach outside for a while. Um, and how does that change things in many ways, I'm sure. We're changing around our food program to make it adapt, et cetera. Um, and I think we'll always be adapting to the times and to new possibilities. We always see if something's happening in the world that's exciting in education, we want to incorporate that. We want to give the best opportunities to our kids. And so we'll always be changing, but it's within a model that um, makes sense to us, that is our culture. And how do you measure the impact of your school's different approach compared to the alternatives available for students? That's interesting because I would say that um, the difference in our school compared to others is 
there are at least others in Davis, which is a university town. So its schools are not bad and they are academic. So much of what people really worry about when they think about really bad school experiences would be a lack of safety and a lack of academics. And I honestly can't say that kids going to school in the community, in public school in this town, would be experiencing those things. So in a sense, they're very lucky already. And what I would say that we offer at Peregrine is a qualitatively different experience rather than a quantitatively. I think our kids will do better academically than they would have otherwise in a normal sense. Um, they tend to come out of our school about a year ahead, and that is from a, an elementary school that has no homework and that has an hour and a half of outdoor playtime during the school day each day. So you can see that we're going about it a different way, but we're very effective. However, I would say the real difference is in the experience the kids have. I think that the experience helps them to be their own decision makers. Um, they are used to being part of running a democratic classroom. They are used to taking action in the community. And that's what we see carrying forward in a different way. And our school helps them to just ex enjoy childhood. We, are, we have developed one acre of gardens in our backyard at the school. And rather than just a blacktop, the kids have a very complex and interesting world to experience when they're out at recess. And um, so it is the qualitative experience of childhood at our school that is different. Um, and I think we'll give them different sense of the possibilities in their lives. Um, I hope uh, the ability to carry on with all the intelligences to do many things in the arts as well as whatever their profession is, et cetera. Really enjoy this conversation and hearing about Peregrine School's progressive and empowering approach for students. Do you have any messages to share with our listeners today? I do have one. First of all, um, look up our school and come visit if you, well, not during the pandemic, but when that's over, uh, we always welcome that. We are Peregrine School and you can just look it up online. But I wanna say that I have just been involved in an exciting project, which is coming out this fall. And I'm writing a book called Growing Whole Children in the Garden. And there is a website, growingwholechildren.com that we just put up that um, announces the beginning of this project and um, asks people to put their name on a mailing list if they want to learn more, because we are very eager to share what we've been learning at Peregrine over the years uh, with a broader community. And interestingly, one of the good sides of this pandemic is that I've had more time to be at home and reflect rather than be running the school every day. And that has given me time to do this writing and I'm hoping we can share it with a broader community. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hammond. It was so wonderful to learn more about Peregrine School's SOAR curriculum, the impact it has on student lives. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you so much, Joyce. And I'm so glad that you are doing this work as volunteers. I think it's a wonderful thing.